Jimmy Rose Down recording an episode Bow Show. Oh no, don't tell me it's recording now. Jimmy Rose Down recording. This clip to play hey, um, Maybe I'll hear the music on. Those eggs and scrambled eggs. Scrambled eggs are the worst form of eggs. Yeah, that is highly controversial. Are you damn gonna find some chickens? <laughs> yeah, you are. Chickens worked hard to produce the eggs on our plate. And I worked hard to beat them to death in a frying pan. Okay, but can I ask you something? Why I think that scrambled eggs are the worst? Yeah, let me tell you. <laughs> Please tell me what, this is not us recording because this is that, it. <laughs> that was the laziest rendition of toss salad and scrambled eggs I've ever heard. I put my soul into that. <laughs> Did you take three Benadryl before we started? What is this? Wait, what's your what's your worst form of scrambled eggs? Or sorry, your worst form of eggs. My worst form of scrambled eggs. Is is eggs sunny side up because when the yolk pops, it fucking goes everywhere, and everyone in my immediate radius will judge me hard. Yeah, that's maybe a second, but if you do sunny side up and you leave it in the pan long enough for the edges of the whites to get crispy, that's pretty sweet. I mean, it tastes good, but again, when it pops, it's an inaccessible disaster. No, you just gotta have some dipping vessel. Why are we talking about breakfast? I'm so hungry now. Did you did you not have breakfast this morning? You don't normally have breakfast, do you? You only have one meal a day. I'm on that intermittent fasting grind. But how long have you been on that grind? It feels like that's been your ritual for years. And look how shapely I am. <laughs> you definitely keep it tight, Tony. Thank you, yeah. Check out my something about Mary hair. That is true. Did they run out of hair gel this morning and have to improvise? You know I didn't have a full wake-up this morning because the Ottawa protests have made it hard for attendants to get to work. Jesus, the trucker convoy strikes again, eh? All, all these truckers risking their lives to deliver avocados every day. I was thinking that the, like, the bat, because I know there are some, like, good people. Or there must be some good people in that rally. They can't all be bad actors. Yeah, of course. But those that are, I wanted to call them Trucker Carlsons. Get it? Get it? You should end every joke and get it? Well, that I yeah, I should, because that's I've been slumming it lately. They're all really bad wordplay. You're on vacation, so. It's true. I've noticed that I can light a fire under you if I say a, a bad enough pun. Yeah. It's offensive. <laughs> yeah. My jokes are so bad that your messy hair stands on end and looks better. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly thought you were going to make a hair pun joke. No, no. So anyway, the trucker convoy. Oh, I have another uh, trucker related joke. Okay. I was thinking that the horse paste medicine could be rebranded. Uh, by Joe Rogan as Guy Vermectin. And then all of the shitty, like people who think conspiracies around Ivermectin can like take it. And then if it actually does, wait, can you help me with this? I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> well, you know the context of. Well, like, I know Ivermectin and I know yeah. male Gwyneth Paltrow, Joe Rogan. 
Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, I was thinking he should be called Jopra. Yeah, he's more like he's yeah, he's like dude bro Chopra. Yeah, Jopra. Yeah. Meets meets Gwyneth Paltrow, like that level of Tinseltown lifestyle guru. If they called it Givermectin, then it would be targeted at like like are you afraid of the COVID vaccine and like willing to <laughs> travel across Canada to protest meaninglessly in downtown Ottawa, you should take Givermectin. It's the COVID alternative for men. I have friends who are going to hate that I made these jokes. I don't even really know much about Ivermectin. I am so agnostic, to be honest. Well, so it's the, it's the medicine that CNN said was like used for horses but there's an actual human alternative it's just that the human alternative is an anti-parasitic and not an antiviral medicine you've been on vacation too long i have been so medical professionals are like don't take like an anti-parasitic for a virus dummy that's not what it's meant for it's like you don't take fucking uh Benadryl before a podcast? Yeah, you don't take Benadryl before a podcast. I mean, it's just you don't take a square peg to fill a round hole. This is not how it works. Do you want to talk about why you're not showered? I just, just I'm taking a, I'm on a cleanse cleanse. <laughs> for a, I've chosen. You're trying to cleanse yourself of cleanliness? Yeah, exactly. So you're getting dirty in order to purify yourself? I feel like I have too many friends. Right, right. And so if I can choose to shower less or never, Uh I'll I'll be able to have fewer friends because people won't hang out with me. Right. And fortunately, my care provider has been very on board with this. And they were like, oh, we'll help you. Never shower you. No, I don't know. It's just been an ongoing. We've talked about this. When everything's short, it's hard to get the care you need. Yeah, you have to fight pretty hard for it. And honestly, I'm like really tired today because I spent the last forty-eight hours fighting for my cleanliness. Uh, yeah, I spoke to you yesterday uh, during the day on Sunday, and you're usually pretty relaxed then because it's the day where they do your house cleaning and you just sort of get to like prepare mentally. For the week ahead and you were not able to participate in the conversation really or you only had one eye on the content that we watched for today's podcast but not out of disinterest i know you're fully invested in my idea for today's episode because because you fucking love fraser i know you do but also you were deeply distracted by the distress of Potentially not being able to shower for the foreseeable future. It's like I'm playing a game of chess in my mind. Yeah. Where I'm like trying to think what their next move is so I can prepare my moves. Yes. And then you end up having to invoke the red tape or like contractual agreements in order to prevent them from just arbitrarily telling you how your care will proceed going forward. Yeah. It's it's very, very annoying. It fires me up, but not in a way that I'd like. Like yeah. I get, I get fueled by it. It gives me energy, but it's like negative energy. Yeah. I don't know. Even this conversation just makes me angry. Oh, this topic? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just been so consuming. Mm. Honestly, I'd rather talk about why 
scramble that is your bundle going sunny side up. So again, it's pure function. My choice of egg is pure like so scrambled eggs is your favorite? I don't mind scrambled eggs, but it's a lot of fork stabbing. Like it's a lot of work. What's your favorite form of egg? You just here's my guess. Here's my guess. If if you're going purely function, you're gonna be a hard boiled egg kind of guy. You shell it and then you just pop it in your mouth. One bite, you're off to go. No, sometimes my mom will do that. She'll like boil eggs and then like leave them in the fridge and be like, if you're starving, eat one of those. But what I like is eggs over hard. That makes sense because it's still a function thing. Yeah. You just douse it in ketchup or something? Ketchup, yeah, basically. Or, you know, I just combine it with bacon and go to town. You ever had a poached egg? Is that where it's like... uh? You ever had eggs benedict? Yes. I don't yeah, like the sauce. poached egg. Okay. What? I know. I don't like hollandaise sauce because I don't get what it is. What is hollandaise sauce? It's just pure, delicious, fatty richness. Of what? It's like egg, egg yolks, and I don't even know. It's like an emulsification of fats and butter and egg yolk. And Does it have specific spices? Salt. It's just this weird yellow sauce. I don't trust it. I really just don't trust it. Fair enough. Okay, well, agree to disagree, I guess. So have you been grumpy all day? It's, I've just been, like, foggy. Yeah. I'm not I don't know. I've been grumpy on and off, just, like, annoyed at the reality of the situation. And yeah. I have friends that have been very helpful, which is nice. But then, I don't know, I also, so many people just, like, the, I think the whole rally thing that was going on over the weekend was also frustrating because it's like I think a lot of the people arguing like protesting are not really aware of the implications to people like in my situation you mean just in terms of like observing mandates or yeah we all want this thing to be over yeah of course we do it's nobody nobody's is like you know I kind of like the pandemic yeah, but there are people who like to transpose uncontrollable problems onto a figure of authority in order to assign blame. Exactly. Because because there always needs to be a source of the oppression instead of just the chaos and nature of being in many cases. Right, and we have to find a reason. Yeah, exactly, someone we can blame. Sometimes I think it's a personality type that says repeatedly, like, no one can tell me what to do. And up to a point, I respect that, but... But the thing is, people can tell you what to do. Like, I can be told I can't shower that day. And I can't just rally the streets to shower. (laughs) Right. Unfortunately, when when you participate in a community, there's an implied agreement that your actions sometimes have to be at the expense of your best interest on occasion. And that's just the that's just cooperation. That's how how cooperation works. I don't know. It's a very complex issue. I yeah. get it. I want it to be over. I don't necessarily agree with some of the restrictions all of the time, or all of the restrictions some of the time. Mm-hmm. But when this kind of thing happens, and it's a direct result of that protest, you know, I don't know. We're not going to solve it today. No, of course we're not. I feel like 
because you're on holiday, you're going to have an entire, I'm going to back up. I felt like because you're on holiday, you were going to have a thesis prepared for today's episode. And you led this one, which was awesome because I was not in the headspace to do some of the leading that I normally would do. Mm -hmm. So it was very helpful and I appreciate it. And you picked Frasier. I did. Now, I don't want to get into it quite yet, except to say that when you picked it, I was like, oh, he's going to have a whole thing ready. And then we watched a few episodes yesterday Uh and you did. You had episodes picked out. You had it all prepped. And then today you sent me clips Uh and they're indexed clips. And that you're like, play this clip first and then this clip. So I'm prepared to say that I think I'm right and that you have a whole thesis prepared. Yeah, I do. But it's because I think about Frasier a lot, to be honest. Like romantically? Yes. Kelsey Grammer has very symmetrical features and a sultry baritone. And so I can't help but think of him in that vein. I think you can actually train your voice to be deeper on the radio. Can you? I think so. Is that true? To talk from your chest rather than, I don't really know what I'm doing. (laughs) But I I have heard many radio hosts say that they trained their radio voices. Can I ask you a question? Sure. (laughs) Is Frasier the sitcom incompatible with your sense of humor? No, I've just never seen it. I found it quite funny. Okay, okay, okay. But were you prepared for it to be like stuffy and for me to become a total nerd while watching it with you? I was prepared for you to become a total nerd, yes. (laughs) Okay, okay. I'm always somewhat prepared for that. Can I ask you a question? Like, what do you think it is about Fraser that I'm going to be hyper-focused on? That's an interesting question. You mean specifically today? Sure. I think what you what you like about this is it's, it's one of the, at least for the time, it was a show that spotlighted, if, if that's a word, spotlit. Yep. Um, mental health. Ah, interesting. And how it's okay for men to be vulnerable and open about their mental health. Aha. Uh-huh. And specifically for today's episode, hopefully at least, about the disability <laughs> aspects yeah. of the episodes we watched. Right, right. Yeah, that's super spot on. Frasier was a show I remember um, growing up with, basically. Like, when you were a kid, did you have TV time with your parents, or were you very seldomly like plunked in front of a television? Well, we were very restricted in what we could watch on TV. So it was... We had a collection of VHS tapes. Most of them were like VeggieTales, Bible Man, Mr. Bean. So I didn't get a lot of... Eventually, I was able to watch CSI. Okay. So I watched a bunch of CSI. Like when they noticed that you had an aptitude for STEM? They're like, oh, Anthony should watch forensic TV shows. I don't know. I, I think it was just... Honestly, I think at one point... My parents are probably just like, it's easier to let them watch CSI than to put on something they're going to not be invested in and then have to like sheepdog them to the TV all the time. 
So your parents are not like other typical boomers that are anesthetized by the television in the evenings? No, my dad was like, my dad never watched TV because he worked in it. So he was like, I I don't care. I don't want to watch it. Mm. But I think maybe because of that, he was also hyper aware. We also had kids growing up with me at the time who had behavioral issues. So it was like really important to monitor the content that they consumed. That makes total sense. Did you have cravings to watch more TV than you were allowed to? A hundred percent. I ended up getting my own TV in my bedroom. Oh yeah. Because I just didn't want to deal with the nonsense of whatever they were watching, which honestly, I just ended up watching a lot of sports, but then I also did end up getting to watch shows because my parents realized like I would be okay to watch some of the more edgy content without it affecting my mental health or putting me into bad behavioral pods. Can I ask a salacious question? Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you ever saw like titties on TV? The first time? No. I don't know. I'm trying to think. I have a I remember it not the first time, but I remember when Black Swan came out. Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis at the time were like my two celebrity crushes. Tony, that was 2009. You would have been in university. I know. That's what I'm telling you. Because I remember at that point had a bit of a penchant for titties on screen. Oh, yeah. I went home for the holidays and this movie came out. Is that a euphemism? You went home for the holidays? No. <laughs> what would that even be a euphemism? For? I don't know. You cleaned up afterwards? Anyway. Santa came down the chimney. <laughs> <laughs> and you fed him milk and cookies. Yeah. And his bag was pretty full <laughs> of gifts. <laughs> Which were unwrapped. Unwrapped gifts. <laughs> okay, this is... <laughs> <laughs> So I remember secretly going into my room and watching that movie. And when you were a 21 year old man, <laughs> as if I was like a 14 year old <laughs> discovering porn for the first time. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, I, I um, can like, I honestly like, do you remember your first? Probably. Yeah. It would have been probably Red Shoe Diaries off of Showcase in like 2000. Or 2001. Yeah, I, I don't even, I've never even heard of that. I know because you're a pure minded good boy. What is that? <laughs> it was just a TV show that like told smutty stories like after 1130 on a cable network uh, channel. Oh, yeah, there's no chance I would get to watch that. I know. It was basically softcore cable nudity. That's all it was. When, how old were you when you were watching that? 12. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I honestly don't remember. I was like a choir boy till I was like 17. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, we totally got off topic. Like, I was just trying to get an impression for the presence of television in your life as a child. And the, the point, and it's actually fascinating that Mr. Bean was a frequent uh, activity for you because your sense of humor is very, very Roman Atkinson. Yeah, he probably shaped it 
I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg. Yeah. But I know if the egg came after, it would not be scrambled. Right. It would be over hard. I know it would be poached. <laughs> when I was a kid, though, uh, every Thursday, it would, there was like a comedy lineup on NBC. And that comedy lineup started with Friends. Then it had a bunch of crap in between. And then it ended on Frasier. And Frasier was a show that I was allowed to watch that I really liked even as a kid. And then at the end of Frasier, ER came on. And I remember the theme music for ER being so like Pavlov's dog, like ingrained into my brain that it was time to go to sleep. That even nowadays when I hear that tune, like my eyes get heavy. It's kind of crazy. Did you like going to bed as a kid? Uh, I hated it because I always had sleep trouble. Oh, I just hated it because I had FOMO. Oh, fear of missing. Yeah. No, I suppose I had some of that. Like maybe I didn't like going to bed early on the weekends for fear of not taking the most advantage of my free time. Yeah, I just always felt like my bedtime was too early. Mm. My parents would be like, okay, it's 8.30, go to bed. And I'm like, I'm 14, I'm an adult. So did you feel like you went to bed for functional reasons and not just because like 8.30 was sundown? Is that what you mean? Well, I went to bed because my parents made me go to bed. Right. So, you, But you couldn't choose to stay up later because of the logistics of putting you to bed? or Yeah, like basically I had to go to bed before my parents every night. Right. Because they put me to bed. Yeah, I should have been able to put that together without asking. So if they were tired, I had to also be tired. Oh, that sucks. It sucks a lot on a, a week night. Sometimes they would be like, I'm going to bed. I'll come get you up and put you to bed in a couple hours. So did you ever have sleepovers like in high school? No. You never had one sleepover? I mean, like family, friends, like my cousin would stay over a, a bit. Tony, like you should be. Uh, I, I like, lived a, a, a very conservative existence as a child. I'm just, I'm shocked at how cool you are given how little opportunity you had to be cool as a kid. I'm just really good at acting. <laughs> you didn't have sleepovers. Like that was so important when you're a teenager. I don't even think I wanted to because my house is so chaotic. Don't say that. You, oh, you're right. Like I did want to, but it was easy to talk myself out of it because I was like, then I have to explain just all the chaos that yeah it's so great like it's no wonder you had to get your stomach pumped at frosh week of first year university exactly when i went to university yeah it was like oh i can try everything for the first time yeah and you can be a teenager and a 20 something like yeah. you probably had to pack all of your years into one go and I'm, that's why i'm still very immature i don't think you're immature you uh, have like a you have a you, you have a a childlike sense of humor, but it's not, I don't know. It doesn't, That's like, what I mean. yeah, I just mean it doesn't disrupt your life. No. Sometimes it prevents you from flirting with women properly. I have to say. You think so? I think it does. Yeah. What makes you say that? Because last episode you told me that it's a good idea to laugh during sex. <laughs> and I will never forget that until I die. And you still disagree? I totally disagree. That's so bizarre. You might be right. Maybe that's my problem. 
like in your early 20s you never go to your best friend and, and are like dude i had the funniest blowjob last night <laughs> no but like you gotta throw a joke in every once in a while no nope. keep things light nope but like your sense of humor leaves when the lights go down for at least a few minutes that's bizarre to me I'm curious to know if I'm the strange one here. They call it business time, Tony, not re- like fun time. Who calls it that? <laughs> fly, fly to the Concord. Yeah, exactly. And you know what that song is? <laughs> Ironic. Yeah, it's true. It is. It's about like the death of a marriage or relationship. It's about a guy who doesn't laugh in the bedroom. <laughs> Ah, you got me there, Tony. All right, one sec. I have to sit up. I'm sliding out of my chair because I'm having fun. Um, so b- back to Frasier. Um, <laughs> Fra- Frasier's not only like a good show, objectively viewing it as an adult, but as a child, it was the kind of a soother. And I remember it being something that got a register of laughter out of my parents that was quite rare. And it was something that the two of them could watch together and laugh, which they seldom ever did. Not that that's a commentary on the nature of their like proximity, but just that they mostly watched like grisly murder serials together and rarely laughed. And you don't believe in laughing during murder serials? <laughs> no, it's serious business, Tony. People are getting killed. Um, yeah, anyway, sorry. I am going to be all over the place and probably strange. And it's just because of everything we've talked about with my attendance and I'm still like this is an unfair term to use but feel a little shell-shocked you, you because, look yeah sorry go ahead because it's just like it's, it's like it takes so much energy out of me that I'd much rather spend on you know my work or my friendships or literally anything else and I'm just I feel numb because I've just been like, yeah, shell shock is the word that keeps coming to mind, even though I'm obviously not in a war right now. But when an attendant comes in in the morning, they come in, they flick on the light, and they say, sorry, you can't shower today. And I have no recourse. Yeah. It's infuriating, and I don't really know where to direct that anger, because... It's not the attendant's fault that they're the only one that showed up. It's maybe not even the employer's fault for being short-staffed. It is a little bit their fault for, you know, in my opinion, being not that good at valuing their employees to the point of retaining them. And I could say, you know, like, more on that, but I won't. And sometimes it, it does feel like certain attendants in the same situation do give me more care. Mm-hmm. And so then when that happens, it is hard to not get a little frustrated at the attendant when they don't, because I'm like, well, so-and-so wouldn't have done it like this. They would have still been able to give me a shower in the same amount of time under the same circumstances. And yeah, like some attendants do use being short as an excuse to get out of work. That said... I am not a morning person. I have to ease into my day slowly. First, I have my coffee. Sands, eggshells, or anything else one tends to pick out of the garbage. (laughs) 
then I have a low-fat, high-fiber breakfast. Finally, I sit down and read a crisp new newspaper. If I am robbed of the richness of my morning routine, I cannot function. My radio show suffers, and like ripples in a pond, so do the many listeners that rely on my advice to help them through their troubled lives. I'm sorry if this may sound priggish, but I have grown comfortable with this part of myself. It is the magic that is me. This clip spoke to me so hard. I think I perked up when this happened. You really did. for the first episode, like you mentioned, I was kind of zoned out. I was focused on sending emails back and forth, citing things to try to get a shower in the morning. The line where he goes, if I'm robbed of the richness of my morning routine, I cannot function. Here's my life right now. I just want to be like, guys, I don't even eat lunch. I don't eat breakfast. I just want a shower. If you take a shower away from me, it throws off my whole day. My work suffers. My productivity suffers. My mood suffers. And I know that sounds like I'm a princess. But like, my life is already a very precarious balance of a bunch of different disability-related constraints, work-related constraints, other constraints, and when some of my that gets taken away, I feel the control that I have over my life slipping from me, it really gets to me. And it's, it's not even a shower, per se. I can go a day without showering. I can skip a shower. It's just the principle of someone else being able to have that decision and make it for you with no regard or, or no input from you. It's just like... But also to frame it as though if you don't go without a shower, you are doing some sort of harm onto them or onto your fellow building mates. Yeah. Like it's such an unfair little power game that they play and that they don't have a problem invoking. It's a huge problem. It, that's exactly what happens. They're like, you know, this is a shared service. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. And I hope all the clients are being advocated for. And I hope that they're advocating to get a shower. It's not that I want to take a shower away from them. I want us all to have showers. And I know there are constraints, sometimes outside of people's control, but it really throws me off. And I, I kind of hate how much it throws me off because I wish it didn't. I don't want it to. I don't like feeling like the way my life goes is up to someone else. And it's really, it really sounds entitled even as I say it. I don't know how to express it properly. Maybe I'm just entitled. I don't know. I don't think you are. But this scene really resonated because I feel the same way. It's just like the way he described his morning routine with such passion is like I if I could get myself up in the morning, I'd probably I'd have a very different routine, but I think I would still have a very specific routine. Yeah, and if you could, you would describe it it with equal passion. Yeah, yeah. So many of the parts of my routine that I fight for in the mornings are not even things I want to do. They're just things that I have to do because of my disability. 
and I'm yes. still fighting for them. But it, and like, but when a tenant recently, I was like, I just don't know what we're going to do. Like, other like you you get more time than the other clients, which is true because even on a good day, I do because I'm more disabled than them. And I just respond like, yeah, you and I both wish I was less disabled. Which is the perfect response. Because it's a situation that is out of your control and theirs. Yeah. And you, you have a written agreement with your care program. The one time these dumb care plans that we've talked about have come in my, in my favor is when they're like trying to propose, anytime they're short, we can only give you, you know, 50% of what you need. And I have to be like, okay, but remember that agreement we signed that we sift through together and make sure it has everything where, like, they want it to be a thing they can use if I ask for something that they deem outside of their scope. Uh But now I can use it to say, you're taking something off the agreement that we both agreed to. Yeah, so the the agreement is not reciprocal, or they never anticipated a situation in which it would not be used to their advantage. Yeah. Which is horseshit. I almost feel like I have a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome because I do feel entitled. Like, I feel like I sound entitled when I say some of this stuff, and I... Well, not for nothing, but, like, you know, the cliche, cleanliness is next to godliness... I think personal hygiene is very normalizing when you have a disability and it reflects on us uh, or or not being clean or held to some standard of clean when you're a wheelie is magnified by disability because yeah. of the very low expectation that people have that we present well. So it's really, really important to us and probably ingrained in us from an early age, the difference between a successful or 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 an isolated or neglected wheelie is cleanliness. And it's like, I know that I'm going through a bout of depression if on a regular basis I go many days without showering. Yeah. Like it like I can diagnose my state of mind by how often I think to bathe. And it's like that cliche if you smile, you'll feel happy. Yeah. And if you shower you you can feel better like i i don't know i I don't feel depressed but waking up in the morning having someone tell me i can't shower really does instantly affect my day for sure yeah they it's like they woke you up and threw like a nice bucket over your head and said like your care is half today we don't care about you get the fuck up and go to work yeah and i don't want to sound like i'm painting a terrible picture because like i did get up but that's a low bar you know you're also making the assumption that they've coped with the with this level of staff uh resource constraint before and you've still been able to shower so you figure that there's a certain amount of lethargy that they want to be able to maintain in spite of the lack of resources and so this this imposed restriction upon you is unnecessary to some extent, or they're not willing to feel the pinch as much as they're willing to make you feel the pinch, which is fucked up. Well, that's the thing is it keeps coming down on the clients. Yeah. And then they still act like the victims. So they'll be like, 
Sorry, you only get 50% of the care. As you know, all healthcare sectors are experiencing extreme shortages right now. Yeah. You know, and you're right. They're right. It is hard to hire uh, healthcare workers right now. I don't know. I'm stuck in a work in a hard place. It's just frustrating when this is the reality and it feels like it's only going to get worse before it gets better. Um, And sometimes it just feels like I'm screaming into the void because it's, it's a hard reality to express if you don't live it. For sure. Yeah. It's also the other dimensions of your life are not adjusted for the sacrifices that you have to make to your personal care routine. You're still expected to function as an employee just as much as you would if you were able-bodied. And so it's, it feels impossible. Like something has to give. And if your caretakers won't give, like, where does it go? Yeah. And I, I admire or I respect in you that your expression of rage is more a cloudy mind than like actual destructive rage. Because if I were you, I would be inarticulate right now. Never mind cloudy. I would be a Tasmanian shithead. I'd be very upset. I feel like my friends have definitely helped. You know, you've helped. We've talked about this quite a bit off air as well. And I have certain ways that I cope. But with no end in sight, it feels overwhelming. I've never been one to, like, be rageful. The anger just fuels me to write a more assertive email in response. Like, that's about as angry as I get. That said, Frasier can relate. Let's relate to Frasier. Um, in that scene, do you remember why Frasier is asserting the importance of his morning routine? Yeah, basically he wakes up in the morning and someone tells him he can't shower. <laughs> no, he wakes up in the morning and and his dad and his dad's new caregiver are both there, sort of, you know, his dad's made him breakfast, his caregiver's or his caregivers make a breakfast or whatever, and they're all not doing things the way he would have done them before. Frazier's used to living like a bachelor, and he's just allowed his father, who's recently been disabled by an an errant gunshot wound to the hip. He's an ex-cop, and he got shot on his beat. So Frazier's dad is disabled, and he can't live on his own because he's fallen a number of times in his shower. So Frazier lets his father move in with him. But, you know, as anyone who's never had roommates before, there's always growing pains and sacrifices. And so Frazier finds himself having to assert some boundaries and like enforce his routine. And uh, that was a perfect moment. It was a strange moment to connect with you so much because it really wasn't related to Martin or the disabled character. But still, you know, Frasier has that quality of the TV show. Like it, it's always exploring a whole spectrum of emotions as authentically as possible. So there's always something to grab a hold of. And I feel like the way the show parses emotion like, is always intelligent, even if the hero of the show is a pompous ass. Yeah, that's the thing is this whole rant is very curmudgeon-like. Mm-hmm. And I related so much to it that I was like, am I the curmudgeon? 
in my life story. And that, that has also been rattling around my head for a while. I would wager, like, if you could line up all your friends and close acquaintances in a row and ask them if there's ever been a time in their association with you that you've been a curmudgeonly ass, they would say no. I don't know if that's the case, but my friends also aren't the ones telling me I can't shower. <laughs> that's true. Can we play a, a Wheel Breakers mid-episode for a moment? Wheel Breakers! Okay, so you get to be 100% able-bodied, but every day you have to seek out an attendant who's not good at their job and deny them the ability to shower in the morning. Oh, interesting. Because right now in my life, that's kind of a fantasy. It is. To be able to be like, all right, how about this? Anytime I can't shower, you can't shower. Right. We'll see how long I go with her to shower then. Exactly. <laughs> that would be brutal. Because if I was, if you gave me a wheel breaker to be able-bodied, I wouldn't want to live in the shadow of my, of the thing that made me most upset. And this would keep that wound open indefinitely. That's a good point. So if you were to victimize other people, you would never heal from your own inciting trauma. Yeah. Fuck, Tony. God damn it. You should be a counselor. <laughs> you should be Fraser, which I suppose you, you are in this particular clip. But anyway, go on, Fraser. <laughs> I wouldn't take the deal because of that. You'd take the high road? I would take the less cleanly road. Imagine if you didn't have to take the high road because it had stairs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so if I could make you fully able-bodied, with the catch being you have to have someone else that you don't like shower you every time you want to shower. Is it a new person that I don't like every time? Not necessarily, but you don't you don't begin to like them over time. Okay. Like even if you dislike them and you see them every day. I still dislike them. You'll still dislike them, yeah. Okay, what do I dislike about them? Oh, everything. Every, oh my God, everything? They're just like, you don't want to spend time with them, but they have to. Do they like me? It's hard to tell. Oh no, it's ambiguous, so I never know where I, uh, I, never know where I stand with them. It's ambiguous. Like sometimes you're like, maybe, maybe tomorrow will be better, but it won't. Oh, no. See, that's one of my biggest pet peeves in life is when I have somebody in my life that for one reason or two, I respect them, but I never know where I sit with them. So I don't really like them, like being around them because of the dubiousness of our, you know. Mm. Yeah. So I, that would be painful, I think, like just on yeah. a social a social level. Do you think you would just forego showers often? No, 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 no. Showers are really important. As I said, they're very humanizing. Yeah, but it's not very humanizing in this situation. Tony, I'm a sweaty man, okay? And I have hair everywhere, okay? Yeah, I can relate. There are some mornings, one morning they came in, they're like, I can't give you a shower. And I was like, how about if I just don't shit today? They're like, okay. And so you, you learned what your hierarchy is, right? That was my hierarchy in that, that day, at least. 
But then if he came the next day, I wouldn't have had a choice. Do you you didn't get the chance to drop the kids at the pool today, right? I dropped the kids at the pool today because I didn't drop the kids at the pool yesterday. Oh no. So it was like, well, I didn't shit yesterday. I need to shit today. So I yeah. have to forego a full challenge. Okay. Well, I to answer your question, so I would do it because it's very, very important for me to shower. The only way I wouldn't shower is if you would take the deal, so you would Yeah. You yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like the only way I wouldn't shower is if there was a risk of giving a random stranger a terminal illness for not showering. Anyway, I don't want to play hypotheticals. We could we could do this for a thousand years. Can you do me a favor? Can you play the next clip that I have queued up for us? Is that it? You're really afraid I'm going to make you play all of the clips and that this is just going to be a clip collection episode? Don't tell me I'm afraid. <laughs> Before we started recording, you said four times I want to play all the clips. And then in the email where you sent the clips to me, to prep for the episode. Yeah. It said, I want to play all the clips. <laughs> so don't try to make this about my own fear. <laughs> I'm putting it on you. It's your <laughs> fault we didn't play all the clips. <laughs> Although I will say, if we don't play all the clips, it probably is because of me. Well, <laughs> because before the episode, I was like, Jamie, you just clipped the whole episode. No, we watched four episodes. And I clipped maybe 20% of each episode. 90 minutes of clips, yours. It's not 90. <laughs> Excuse me, Frazier. It's not 90. <laughs> we have a problem, and that's why I thought we should talk. Is it dad? I'm afraid so. Uh, one of his old buddies from the police force called this morning. He went over to see him and found him on the bathroom floor. Oh, my God. No, it's okay. He's fine. What, is his hip again? Frazier, I don't think he can live alone anymore. What can we do? Well, I know this isn't going to be anyone's favorite solution, but I took the liberty of checking out a few convalescent homes for him. Miles, a home? He's still a young man. Well, you certainly can't take care of him. You're just getting your new life together. Absolutely. Well, besides, we were never simpatico. Of course, I can't take care of him. Oh, yes, yes, of course, of course. Why? Why? (laughs) Because Dad doesn't get along with Maris. Who does? I thought you liked my Maris. I do. I, I like her from a distance. You know, the way you like the sun. Maris is like the sun. Except without the warmth. <laughs> good, good. Well, then we're agreed about what to do with Dad. Golden Acres. We care so you don't have to. <laughs> It says that. Well, it might as well. <laughs> All right, I'll make up the spare bedroom. Oh, you're a good son, Fraser. Oh, God, I am, aren't I? <laughs> okay, so that whole clip was relevant because it's a because it's a negotiation between uh, Fraser and Niles about what they're going to do about their newly disabled dad. Do you think your family had this conversation? I think they've had versions of this conversation throughout my entire life. Before it was certain that I had a career-oriented job, they were very, very nervous about me living here. And I know that when when I went to Carleton, it was seen as a solution for my autonomy, so I should not come home in the summer. And I, when when I left my home, this is another 
funny thing about the episode, but when I left my home for the first time in 2008, I didn't come home again or stay with my parents again in the long term until maybe five years after that point. And my mom removed a bunch of little accessible accommodations that were standard throughout the house. Like we had these grab bars around our around both of our toilets in the full and half bathroom. And the grab bars were meant to transition from the countertop to the porcelain. And so it was so that we could sidestep easily and always have something to grab onto. I use the word we in reference to my sister who is also disabled. But my mom got rid of these extra provisions because they were unsightly in the bathroom. And like, I I love my mom. She's a good person. Like, I'm not trying to shit on my parents. I'm just saying they did not intend for me to live here. And I, and I know that discussion, like we're talking about our autonomy, not being in our hands. Like you think discussions like this don't happen in the attendant care office where they can say like, Oh, I don't want to do Anthony's full call because oh, it's I think that happens for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And in this, in this conversation between Niles and Fraser, it is played for laughs. Their general fear of looking after their dad, of having to deal with the situation, of the uncertainty of it all, it, it underscores a lot of the humor that is like central to Fraser's relationship with his father. Yeah. And so the show itself, the entire 10 season show is all about this man, uh, Fraser, uh, growing an emotional proximity to his dad such that the two of them can talk and understand each other and like not have two uh, highly contrasting ideas of what it means to be a man or to, to have autonomy, to be self-sufficient. So what I love about the show is it actually uses Martin's disability to create eventually like a strong emotional bond between father and son. It suggests that it is a kind of vulnerability that can facilitate that. And so that kind of thesis, when Fra- when Fraser realizes that his father is vulnerable and that he is in fact capable of talking about his emotions and of being compromised, of shedding the identity of the beat cop or whatever, and just being a dad, it's like a a second chance with his father that he never had when he was growing up because of this sort of sense that his father disapproved of him for being, you know, this effeminate intellectual while he was growing up. And so I think there's like a ton of things about this show that I fucking super identify with. And I knew I was going to do this and I apologize. I ended up fucking ranting like crazy, but it's just, yeah, that tension, Frazier not wanting to bring his dad into his life because he just has this perfect picture of what it means to be Frazier. It's the same as able-bodied people having difficulty bringing disabled people into their lives for the same reason. Like, yeah, you know, I want to go on trips with you, but I don't want to fucking push you everywhere. Or like, I want to, like, it's okay for you to live with us, Jamie, but we're going to leave your bathroom unfinished for, for a million fucking years for no reason whatsoever, except that that's your problem now. And so, I don't know, man. No, you're absolutely right. The I feel it all the time as an insecurity, but probably based in some reality where, like you said, either attendants are like, I don't want to do a shower today. I've heard stories people have told me where they will literally like flip a coin 
to see who comes to my call. And I don't think it's because of me as a person. No, I'm it's not. Generally amicable, even though I am not a morning person. <laughs> but you know, it's a long call. It's basically twice as long as the other calls. You know, I, I'm I need more help than the average disabled client here. So it's physically strenuous, and it's it's just like I understand is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. but. It, it still hurts. Like, like attendants will come sometimes and be like, oh, nobody wanted to do your call today, but I like doing your call, so I came. And it's like, they say that to try to make me feel better that they're here, and it does. I like that they don't hate my call, but all I'm thinking about is all the other attendants who don't want to be here. Yeah, you feel guilty, and you know that there's no foundation for that guilt, so you'd rather get rid of it, but you can't because you have to consider other people and you and you shouldn't have to be forced to care about the imposition of your fucking caretakers because it's your that's that's their job yeah so so dumb man and the same thing applies to friendships and relationships where like you said again people do think of the implications or the burden of including you in their life because we are often if never a, a part of the idea of what someone is looking for. Oh, yeah. People have to rationalize ways around it, or they just don't. And the number of times I know for a fact, um, exes have talked to their friends or their parents about, like, are you sure this is good? Like, yeah. he's in a wheelchair. Are you going to be able to have oh, kids? Oh, my God. I and, like- and, and then they've come and told me, that they've had these conversations. And again, like I appreciate that they're on my side and defending me during those conversations, but I'm just thinking of the hurt, that the pain that comes with knowing that that's what people think about me. Yeah, they think of the logistics of living with you. And it's like, oh, it's like you're a task. Yeah. Um, I've had ex-partners protect me from that reality too. And I've only realized in hindsight or, you know, months or years after the breakup, you know, what was actually happening. And it's yeah. not a good, it's not a good feeling. So, yeah, I've totally been there, too. That being said, uh, Frazier, can you play the next clip? Let's cut the welcome to Camp Crane speech. We all know why I'm here. Your old man can't be left alone for 10 minutes without falling on his ass. And Frazier got stuck with me. Isn't that right? <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> I want you here. They'll give us a chance to get reacquainted. That implies we were acquainted at one point. (laughs) So here's the thing about Martin is that he, like, I guess one of the tropes of the show is that uh, Frazier chronically overanalyzes his problems and Martin is able to find the through line of his troubles and deliver solutions to him in a straightforward manner, like with the with the with the pragmatism of a blue collar worker or something, just use the can like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, and uh, what w- what that means is that he's like never robbed of his insight or dignity. Like he knows how it is, and he's not afraid to speak his mind. And the show always puts him on equal footing, or you know, the show never does- denies him his paternity toward his sons like that authority 
that is necessary uh, for there to be a healthy relationship between parent and child. And so it also, in that sense, has a very healthy attitude toward disability because the disabled person's not denied their role in their community. Right. Yeah, he's positioned, he being his dad, is positioned in a way that makes you on his side for some of his points. You're never thinking that his dad is a burden. You're actually thinking maybe Mark or maybe Frazier needs to adapt to be better accommodating. Exactly. Yeah. Frazier has to learn to be less self less self-involved and stop taking himself so seriously. The show is is about him welcoming family into his life uh, and realizing that the romantic codependence that he so constantly craves throughout the series is actually not going to to satiate him and like the show is not without its problems of course like sexism and some bad politics here and there it like doesn't ever feature a person of color i don't think until like the eighth or ninth season as like a character with dialogue which is kind of crazy even for a 90s sitcom i'm not sure that that's intentional or what like it might be a systemic symptom of the times etc etc but that that it has to be said well i having never seen it before and then watching four episodes albeit obviously hand-picked episodes uh but it it made me want to watch this show yeah man i i've watched it all the way through like a number of times in my life and I remember each iteration and where my head was at and what phase of life it was. And I always, my mom watches it every day because it's on like the country music channel every day at 7 p.m. So she always like watches at least an hour of Frasier. And it's like the the laughter is so hyperbolic. I I, I need to record it because it's so contagious. Like she just like falls apart laughing at this fucking show and i don't I, That's phenomenal. I don't blame her like i'm happy that you know it gets that kind of reaction from her but anyway so yeah i'm extremely partial to fucking fraser yeah uh would you like to play the next uh clip there fraser right right cheerio delivery from martin crane oh in here coming through excuse me excuse me wait a minute where do you want it where's the tv it's it's in that credenza. Point it at that thing. What about this chair? Uh, the chair here. Let me get it out of your way. Niles, Niles, Niles be careful with that. That's a wasili. <laughs> oh, look, Dad, as dear as I'm sure that this piece is to you, I, I just don't think it goes with anything here. I know. It's eclectic. <laughs> so it's just a quick scene where Martin has his lazy boy chair delivered into Fraser's apartment. And, of course, it, it contrasts quite offensively with Fraser's very deliberate aesthetic and so he's he's like out, outraged and severely impositioned and he's just protesting like uh, like oh martin your wheelchair doesn't go along with my image or whatever and it's like that the, the tension is so palpable to me it's like oh like i said with the removal of the guardrails on the t- on the toilet and other sort of concessions that have had to occur in the past like I've run into this problem with my parents so often. Yeah. So I totally understand. And I know my wheelchair is not a lazy boy, but it does seem sort of it's integral to Martin's uh, comfort and his like 
sense of self. It's a little piece of him that keeps him sane, having to share this like foreign space with his son. So I totally get it. Any any comments there, uh, crazy hair? No, I mean, you are a genius. You echoed everything perfectly. I can't top that. Okay. How do you expect me to follow that? Well, I don't know, with your sexy brain? I don't know. I don't know what <laughs> See, I told you we get through these. This last week with Dad, it, it's been a living hell. When I'm there, I feel like my territory is being violated. When I'm not, I'm worried about what he's up to. It. Look at me, look at me, I'm a nervous wreck. i got to do something to calm down. Double espresso, please. <laughs> Dad, you don't still have the brochures from those, those rest homes, do you? Of course I do. Don't forget, Maris is five years older than I am. <laughs> so, yeah, so Fraser. Uh, keeps get, keeps trying to consider his options and he feels desperate and like suffocated basically by his dad. And so they keep sort of quietly talking about what to do with Martin. What is the solution? And um, Niles jokes that uh, he's like, he throws another disparaging remark at his wife, which is a theme in this show, by the way, that the, the crane boys seem to choose women that they are, attracted to or drawn to but that they they don't relate to emotionally or that are romantically toxic for them and so they they constantly are throwing these jokes toward their their ex-wives but then the interesting thing is whenever uh Fraser's wife appears on the show Lilith Sternan they have so much chemistry and they're so complimentary in their sense of humor and their self-seriousness that it's like it's like a wonderful comedic duo and the, the, the friction between them, their marital frustrations are quite like a uh, carnal in nature. So it, it, it's like funny and kind of like weirdly sexy and stuff. I love it. I love it. It's like Ron and Tammy from parks and recreation. It's just so good. But I also recognize too, that uh, Frazier seems to regard a lot of like women as kind of like perfunctory or at least like unreadable or inaccessible. It's like a world to them that they can't quite understand or that they can't conquer. And so they, but then it's also a response to other sitcoms of the time, you know, like where the mother in the sitcom was much smarter than the husband. The husband's a complete oaf. I think one of Fraser's goals was to show a competent man, like with a good career, like just trying to navigate his, his, uh, his professional goals and, and his like, you know, parse his emotions and stuff. So so as a result of that, it ends up being kind of sexist a lot. It does have some, like, for example, Frazier's producer named Roz Doyle. She's like really good at her job and she's very funny. She's a source of a lot of the jokes of the show. And and Frazier goes tete-a-tete with her in a lot of ways. She has, She's a robust character, but she's also portrayed as having a promiscuous sexual life, which she discusses often so she's the butt of a lot of like slut shaming jokes from Frasier but you know it's often framed as like Frasier not having or Frasier being undersexed and so he's resentful so that resent that resentment is not coded as like Frasier's right in slut shaming Roz it's like more you know like Frasier should really resolve his his romantic life but it's still it still walks the line of like you know like a single woman, like with career ambition, like in an active social life, like must be slutty. Like it still does lean in that direction. So again, Fraser's not 100% the best, but it's, there are many dimensions of it that I 
connect to. Oh, so I'm 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 finished, Tony. Chapter five. Chapter five. This last week with Dad, it, it's been a living hell. When I'm there, I feel like my territory is being oh, violated. We just, when I'm we not, just I'm played this about... clip. Chapter six. <laughs> I don't have my life anymore. Tuesday night, I gave up my tickets to the theater. Wednesday, it was the symphony. That reminds me, weren't you going to the opera on Friday? Yes, here. Thank you. <laughs> How terrible, Fraser. How no, terrible. You don't suppose there's a, a chance that you and Maris could... Funny you should mention that. Maris and I were just discussing this. We feel we should do more to share the responsibility. You mean you take him in? <laughs> Dear God, no. <laughs> But we would be willing to help you pay for a home care worker. A what? You know, someone who cooks and cleans and can help dad with his physical therapy. Wait, can I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah. Why did you want this one to come? Is this chronological in the episode? It is chronological, yeah. Oh, okay, never mind. So that's probably the answer, to be honest. Like, I don't have some grand design in my head. I'm disappointed. Yeah, I really wish I did. But, uh, it, like, isn't it kind of telling that Frazier, like man of society, ultimate like boomer, classical liberal motherfucker, doesn't even know that there are like personal care workers for disabled people or doesn't even consider it. I don't know, man. Like you think that everything you know is so obvious to everyone until you like so many attendants that I've met don't know the first thing about disability or like the fact that I can speak or feel my legs or like can have a job is is like a foreign concept to a lot of people because I think they're just not exposed to it. So I used to think that was annoying, but now I've realized it's just everyone has different experiences. Yeah. And you can't really hold that against a person. Yeah. I don't think I would... Like, I just got my dad hearing aids, and I didn't, I mean, I knew hearing aids existed, but I didn't know the first thing about... I mean, it would be kind of weird if you knew all about hearing aids without having a demonstrated need for one in your life somehow. Right, but wouldn't it be kind of weird for Frazier to know all about PSWs? Maybe, I suppose so. I mean, you would think that it would be fashionable in his world to have, like, the best care worker for somebody in his social sphere that is, like, disabled. I don't know what I'm talking about. I guess I'm full of shit. Do you think that if you, let's say, reverse wheel breaker, Uh I make you super more disabled? Okay. So I drop a piano on your face Uh and you're quadriplegic. That's awful. It's a nice piano. Does that make it better? No. I don't even know what a nice piano is. Like, it's not. It's Oh, it's grand. Yeah, I mean, you could. can you just drop like a dozen PS5s on me? I would understand that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll drop a dozen PS5s on you. And then at least I could sell them afterwards, like above market. No, no, no. And, like, you can't sell no. them. <laughs> I, I'll use them to disable the next guy. <laughs> Damn. I don't think Sony's going to approve of that. <laughs> the official... Console of acquired paraplegia. <laughs> Weird flex. <laughs> so I, I was to make you super disabled, quadriplegic. Okay. I bet even as an experienced disabled person, uh-huh. I bet you you would learn a million things on the first day. 
I don't think I'm that experienced of a disabled person. In fact, I think I'm quite ignorant. Like I have this, I have this actual like fear of going to see like a physiotherapist who works frequently with like people with cerebral palsy. And they're going to look at my body and be like, you don't stretch in this fashion. You don't do this shit for your hamstrings. You don't do this shit for the curve in your upper and lower back. Yeah. Like, How long have you had cerebral palsy? Are you an idiot? Do you know how to put pants on? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Like, I'm actually... <laughs> it would be hilarious if they talked to you like that. <laughs> yeah. I would do you know how many cavities so you have? Do you know how to use a toothbrush? <laughs> what is... Like, like, I do you have any mastery of the, your limited fine motor skills at all? Fuck your life. You should see. You don't deserve my physiotherapy. Did your physio just become your dentist? <laughs> no, I just, I don't know. I, I just have this, like, fear that You I, really are ignorant. You're like, you're going to physio. <laughs> she checks for cavities. <laughs> no, like, I just. Make sure I'm flossing. <laughs> <laughs> the joke is like that I'm so I have so few life skills despite being 34 and ostensibly like like a person I just I just Do you I think your physio also gives you haircuts? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's a branch of uh of uh of physiotherapy uh what's it called again? The big word for hair haircut school like makes it sound like really barber. No, it's not barber. It's there's a whole, what's the fucking word? It's like beautician. Beautician is one of the words. I can't remember. I don't have my words today. Follicle technician. Follicle technician. Follicle, follicle fiddler. As I've been looking at, anyway, that's, that's a dumb tangent. So what if we swapped bodies? So this is a better dumb tangent? Yes. Okay. You want to swap bodies? Yeah. Yeah. How quickly do you think? You would adapt to my lifestyle, and how quickly do you think I would adapt to your lifestyle, Tony? If we swap bodies, uh-huh. you would just go skiing every day, and I would die very quickly. <laughs> Is that <laughs> supposed to make me feel better? Yes. How? Because I'm not as regimented as you, and I don't know myself as well as you know yourself. And if you were me, you'd have the privilege. Of not having to know yourself, so you just go skiing all day. You know, it does make me feel better because it vindicates me a little bit on everything I've been complaining about this whole episode. Because that is exactly why I hold on so dearly to these minute details of my routine. Because I'm aware that they are the thing that keep me from being... In a home or dead, <laughs> if I'm being brutal. Brutal? Yeah. And the, those people that are safeguarding you from that awful fate are just themselves quite awful on occasion? Yeah, I don't even think it's, like, I don't think they're thinking in those terms, but mm-hmm. I, I just don't think they realize how much work goes into sustaining my quality of life. But okay, so. If I had your body, you know, you know what might throw me for a loop is what? like the whole spatial awareness thing. Oh, that's true. You would lose that sense of direction. Yeah, it would be, it would be weird to just be thrown into that. It sure would. Like you've sort of 
it's been your whole life, right? So yeah, I don't know where don't, I am. Yeah, you don't know, but you also don't know where you're not. If that makes <laughs> yeah. So like, if I was thrown into your sense of spatial awareness, I would probably feel a lot more lost than you feel on an everyday basis for the beginning. What if like I would have been some sort of prominent like geologist or something? And then I got cerebral palsy and I don't know where the fuck I am. You're like, are the rocks on the bottom or the top of the <laughs> The top of the Do rock. I go up or down to find rocks? Does gravity fall up? Do I need a spaceship or a shovel? I would slowly get weaker if I was you. Because I don't have the thing in me that exercises. Because I can't. So then if I became you, I would probably forget or just not think about exercising. No, that's horseshit. You think I would think about exercising? I think yeah, you'd think about it if it came naturally. You would like you would think about it for sure. Because all exercise is is just like externalized motivation. It literally just it's it's just like putting your willpower into your body and forcing it to move. Yeah, I I might I would try things. I'd like do a pull up or like do a transfer. Give myself yeah. a shower. Yeah. Sometimes at work, I used to sit on my desk cubicle because I could. And then I'd pretend to be one of those people that like kicks their feet at a pool and be like, so what's up? What's up, guys? Like, I'm just adopting an able-bodied posture <laughs> sitting on my cubicle. I'm cool. Look at me. Yeah. Meanwhile, you had to get to work early to get there. Yeah. People are like, what do you do? Like, that literally took your entire break to sit there. <laughs> then what are you going to do? Be productive, like sitting on your desk? Yeah. And I'd be like, fuck you. I just wanted to sit somewhere other than my power chair for once. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. When I'm like in a pool and I can move my legs. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm running. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm fucking Usain Bolt. I'm fucking... Yeah. I'm John Cena. Like, sign me up for Terminator Genesis Sisyphus 47. And then you think if you weren't disabled, you'd be literally Superman? Like, oh, look at what I can do in a pool if I wasn't disabled. I would be an astronaut by now. Fucking easily. I'd be, yeah. I'd be living on Mars, functionally. Yeah. Elon yeah. Musk would wish he was me. Yeah, fuck Elon Musk. Elon Musk. <laughs> Call back. Call back. So we like the funny thing is with all this Fraser talk, we haven't even gotten to the episode that contained the actual wheelie. Do you think we have time for that shit? We're almost you want to do a couple more clips? There are five more clips. There's one episode of Flavor Flasier where <laughs> uh, Fraser's feeling all- <laughs> take your lips off the fucking control, you bastard. <laughs> where Fraser. <laughs> Is trying to make friends. <laughs> right now I'm nervous because I feel like Tony's going to play the snore sound as soon as I get going again. Uh, stalemate. Truce. There's an episode of Frasier where he feels lonely in Seattle in the third season. So he's like, I need to make friends. And so he like uses his radio show to like reach out to his listeners and be like, hey, come have coffee with me. And the guy that accepts his invitation to be his friend farts really loudly and Fraser's like oh that's very inappropriate and then he's like Niles what do you do about a friend who farts at the table and it's a total it's a total episode about <laughs> table farting 
<laughs> and what relates to the disability you have? Because I fart at the table. All the time. <laughs> and this is the real reason your parents have discussions about you. Yeah, yeah, like, because what do we do about Jamie's black humans? Yeah, it's fine that he's disabled. <laughs> I don't mind putting grab bars up, but it's just gonna encourage him to fart at our table. Right. You cracked the code, Tony. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Fraser, the guy who accepts Fraser's friend request is a wheelie. And Fraser's like, oh, that's fine. I don't care about the chair. But then he has nothing in common with the with the guy in the wheelchair because the guy in the wheelchair is like single-mindedly obsessed with barbecuing for some reason, like making food, which is a weird obsession for a wheelie because we often camp food prep. I love food. We've talked about this. I know you're very high functioning and I and I'm very jealous. That seems like a very quick 180 in the opposite direction. Okay, well, I can't food prep. It's weird because I can't food prep. Okay? So this guy, this wheelie is obsessed with barbecuing and Fraser's like, I, I don't barbecue. I eat sushi and dine at fine restaurants, you pleb or something. And so Fraser's like, what do I do? I Like, I don't like him, but I don't want him to think it's because of the wheelchair. Can you play the clip? If you don't like this man, why did you have dinner with him? Well, I was going to tell him that I didn't want to see him anymore, but uh, you see, it's, it's a bit more delicate than just that. Uh, the, the problem is he's, he's in a wheelchair. So what? If you don't like him, you don't like well, him. Well, I know that. It's just that I, I'd hate to have him think it was just because of the chair. I have worked with the disabled for over 10 years now. And if it's one thing I've learned, they don't want special treatment. Oh, I forgot to bring in the paper. Daphne, would you get it? My legs just aching and throbbing. <laughs> so, like, that's lovely because it's uh, Martin exploiting his disability to get some extra sympathy from Daphne and make her do things. It's funny. That's, that's good shit. Um, also, it... Okay. So I lost my train of thought. I lost my fucking train of thought. Well, let me try to take this one, yeah? Because realistically, I imagine it's pretty common for a person to have this conundrum, right? Yeah. They're thinking, yeah, I don't really like this guy, but if I don't go on a second date, then um, he's going to think that's why. So I have to at least go on a second one. Or at least make it about not that. Right. And I've actually been... Oh, sorry, I moved back to Canada. I've actually been (laughs) in situations where people make it entirely. Is this one of those situations where you're choosing your words and then you omit the meat of the story? Can you just say what it is? Yeah, let me me think. Tony. Have we already talked about this on air? No. One time someone sent me a message and it was like, wow, dating online with a disability, you're so brave. Do we talk about this? We might have, but I'm reliving it and I fucking hate that. And I was like, oh, thanks, but I'm sure you have to deal with weathering the storm of dick pics or something like that. Yeah. Like I tried to make a joke like, you know, we're all the same. Yeah, yeah, and the burden of titties or something. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> your back must struggle. <laughs> and so then there was like a, maybe a five second exchange, and so you hooked up. 
<laughs> no laughter today. <laughs> and so, yeah, and then it just stopped. And then I, I later realized, or at least concluded, that this person just wanted to message me because I was disabled. Yeah. And it was like probably some karmic thing for them. Yeah. Well, that's a kind of the interesting thing about this episode is that Fraser doesn't decide to be, well, sorry, he does decide to continue the friendship because he's afraid of offending him. Yeah. But he doesn't accept the friendship initially just because he's in a chair. I don't think I have any parallel stories of friendship because... Well, the stakes are lower in friendship anyway, so they just leave if you don't like the person. Fuck yeah, it. like my friends don't seem to care that I'm disabled. They they know what that means and they're they're fine with the the life that yeah. they're signing up for. Yeah. But with dating it, it does it's like a double edged sword. Either you're like, when is the other shoe gonna drop and they're gonna realize I'm disabled and it doesn't fit into their dream. Yeah. Or are they just prolonging this conversation because they don't want to say that they gave up so quickly? Yeah. And you never really know where you sit. Sometimes they don't even know where they sit. Of course not. That's the nature of fucking love. It's a whole bunch of confusing horseshit. Right. But this was interesting because Fraser just says it. Like, that is one great thing about this Fraser Crane character is he is so proud and confident in his curmudgeon self that he can just be like, yeah, well, I didn't know what to do because he was in, in a wheelchair. Yeah. He's... And not many people would, I even, as a disabled person, if this came up, something similar, I would talk my way in circles around it. Right. As everyone would. Yeah, that's kind of the gift of Fraser. Yeah. Bringing, bringing like articulate form to complicated feelings. Exactly. There's so many times I have to read through the line. When someone says something, you have to sort of imply the truer meaning behind it. Because yeah. it's a lot harder for people now to just be super direct at risk of, I guess, being hurtful. Mm-hmm. But it, to me, it, it like hurts more when someone doesn't want to be honest with you because it's like, did you just think I wouldn't be able to handle it? Well, yeah, that's the infantilization of wheelies. Yeah. The fear that we won't be able to handle it or, you know, we don't have the life experience to weather the storm or something. I don't know. This episode also does, remember we talked a couple episodes ago about whether you would want someone to break up with you and tell you that it was specifically your disability or not. And this happens. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. I just don't think there's a, a basis between us for, for a sound friendship. It's, neither of us should feel bad about it. It's easy for you to say. You're, you're not the one being rejected. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not rejecting you. It, yeah. Truth is, you're, you're, you're pleasant, you're charming. Fraser, you're... I'm an adult here. At least respect me enough to tell me what it is you don't like about me. Well, all right, all right. Look, we have absolutely nothing in common. You talk on endlessly about <laughs> subjects that I have no interest in. You call me all the time. Frankly, you're, you're suffocating me. Wow. I, I, I don't know what to say. I, 
I know that, like, from the outside, he's kind of a jerk in this moment. But I respect it kind of quite a bit. I totally do. If I had this kind of respect in breakups where they weren't just like, oh, I'm just not feeling it, like, qualify that. For sure. It's also the um, the statement of boundaries, like being very clear and direct. That's really important. Yeah. I run into a lot of problems with people that I care about sort of infringing upon boundaries. And then I just don't say anything. Right. It's because I guess I like on some level, I don't feel like I deserve the boundary that I need that is there and implied and like sort of immutable, but I still don't enforce it sometimes because I'm afraid that I'll be left behind if I do. Yeah. That's what it is for me. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, well, I want this other I want to set a boundary here yeah. because I want more for myself. But if I do that and they're not willing to give it to me, I'm afraid of losing what I already have. Yeah, I've, I've, I've kind of had this, I've used this argument like, like I can't afford, even if there was a side of me that was uh, conspiratorial and wanted to engage in like anti-vax rhetoric, I couldn't afford to do it because I would just be excommunicated from every facet of care that I have or part of my community i i just can't afford to to be reckless with my politics and with my worldview like i have to yeah. i have to oblige i gotta be a good soldier because i'll be fucking I'm, I'm, i'll be the first one to go when i dissent you know like it's a privilege to go against the grain that's a very very good point i'm very neutral on a lot of topics and I'm good at playing both sides and being devil's advocate and just sort of sitting back and listening rather than asserting myself. Uh But it comes from the same place where I'm afraid that if I assert myself, I will ostracize myself from people I need that I'm dependent on. For sure. And I don't know if that makes our our general kindness or open-mindedness toward the people that we care about, like a little bit less authentic. Yeah. But I mean, like, I don't know, everyone has needs. And I think we're just more cognizant of those needs. Yeah. And also like, it's a by, I think it is a byproduct of those insecurities. Even still, I, I couldn't cite an example of something where I've been neutral and secretly thought something else. I've just sort of grown to see both sides mm. rather than I'm not it's not that I'm censoring my own views. It's just I just like default to seeing both sides. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wonder how much happier you would be if you determined what side you were on. It's a good question. Yeah, because when you when you genuflect to the full spectrum of the argument, you are effectively undecided. Like Everything is nothing in that case. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, like, I have tastes. Like there, there's music that I dislike or shows that I don't care about. But, like, like bigger issues, like political issues, many of them I'm pretty neutral on. Or at the very least, I can relate with someone who disagrees with me. A lot of times, like, political neutrality is just, like, never really having to ask a particular question of yourself. Yeah. That makes, does that make sense? Yeah. I always feel very detached from my own ideas. Hmm. So like, 
even if I think something, I'm open and very aware that the idea will probably change with new information. Hmm. So I don't get like hard set in any one opinion. Well, that's a healthy thing. I think it also helps helps me with like jokes because I can laugh about either side of the argument. Well, but I mean, it like it also depends like in what facet of your life you are required to make hard decisions. And yeah. by hard decisions, I just mean like resolute decisions because you probably have a lot of strong opinions in the realm of UI design. You know, like what what does accessibility mean? Like you probably have some strong opinions there. Yeah. It's, it depends what problems you regularly interrogate in your life. And that's where your opinions lie. Like for some reason, it's important for me to subjectively evaluate the goodness of forms of escapism because I think that escapism is really important for some sort of emotional enrichment of the lived experience. Yeah, but then you like that song, Last Night of DJ Saved My Life, and that's a terrible song. Yeah, I mean, that song regularly saves my disposition, so I think you are wrong. Uh, no, but... No, to, to the day I die, uh, I will disagree here. Yeah. On my gravestone, you could put, uh, Last Night in particular, the DJ did not save my life. <laughs> <laughs> I will sing that at your funeral. <laughs> Last night you wish the DJ saved your life. <laughs> okay, well, so this Fraser episode super relatable. Yeah, it's really I I like it a lot. I also like that his problem with the wheelie was just that he was boring. You know, I'm always saying we need more boring like wheelie characters, yeah. not not boring in the sense that they are underdeveloped, but boring in the sense that they are not exceptional. Or just unlikable. Yeah, because I'm tired of cripple exceptionalism because I feel like that exceptionalism has been like the nucleus of my own uh, vectors of self-destruction over the years. Cripple exceptionalism is very good for the able-bodied viewer because it's like, oh, wow, look at how these disabled people can be amazing. I should yeah. really give them a chance. Yeah. And I see the point that they're trying to do. But for disabled viewers, it's like, oh, I didn't do anything today. Am I like a bad cripple? Exactly. Am I not living up to my potential? Am I not doing what I'm supposed to do? And it's so funny because if that guy wasn't disabled, if he was just boring, Frazier would just be like, oh, I'll see you later. But he feels like, he should find something special about the disabled guy because it's like, you know, what else does he have if I don't, if the rest of the world doesn't see at least something in him that redeems his physical barriers or whatever? Well, the interesting thing is he actually, he goes to reject him and then he sees that he's in a wheelchair and he doesn't. But his fear isn't like, oh, maybe I'm overlooking something. Maybe I should be nicer to this guy. It's actually, I just don't want him to think that it's purely the disability. Right. So it's all about, it's all about saving his own sort of image. Yeah. Which is a common, a common dilemma in the show. It's Frazier trying to uphold his, his social status. And then Martin being like, oh, you dumbass. Your social status matters for not. Like, come home and have Sherry with your brother 
joke around with Roz and fucking live your life, asshole. Yeah. So I love Frasier. Yeah, Frasier's Frasier's <laughs> great. <laughs> Do you like Frasier? It's fine. It's okay. I don't think we need to play any more clips. I think we did. Why we did it? How many more clips do you think we have? Like one, two more. Two more? Yeah, two. He did it, ladies and gentlemen. Oh no, there's three. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> do you know which ones I skipped? I think I do. Yeah. That's impressive. You you, you skipped uh you skipped it like a moment of emotional catharsis between sorry between Martin and Fraser. Yeah, there's one like the climax of episode one. It's really quite amazing. They managed to pack like all of the issues that the entire series ends up like parsing and resolving for the next nine years, just in these first 22 minutes. I implore people, uh, go, go watch it. It's so much, it's so good. It is good. I watched the first episode twice. Yeah. It makes me choke up to be honest, but, uh, you know, what's funny to me, like Kelsey Grammer is kind of an oaf. He's one of these comedians that just found like the role of a lifetime because whenever he tr- ever tries to stray from Frasier, like he ends up seeming as aloof as Frasier is before the resolution of any given episode. He's like, I don't know, man. Like, he, I don't think I've seen him in anything else. Well, there's been a number of attempts to bring him into like prestige anti hero territory. And the truth of it is that he's so, he's such a dork that. The this idea that he's like some shady badass like never quite comes across, mm. and th- there's something interesting to me about that. And I guess I don't need to be exploring that in the podcast. But well, is there anything else you do want to explore in the podcast? No, we we already played Wheel Breakers, and I've sufficiently made fun of you. So I think we can conclude the episode. Do you feel like I have sufficiently made fun of you? Uh, I hope so, but I mean, okay. by all means. No, I just want you to feel sufficient. <laughs> well, uh, I apologize if my energy was off because I, it's been a weird few days, but I think you are a genius and this came through very strongly in this episode. Your prepared thesis was very good, very insightful. For moments, I was just a listener, and I was just enjoying hearing you break down the value of this kind of media. And so I appreciate that. I appreciate you, and I appreciate this podcast. I don't think uh, you were, like, I think your dishevelment, which is not a word, actually served the podcast quite well, and and I wouldn't be self-conscious about it at all. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. Okay. Bye, fuckers. Until next time. Yeah, go watch uh, Fraser. It's good. Good shit. Jamie likes it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs>